You're listening to What If, a sermon series about God's expectations of His people. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. How are we doing today? We doing good? Everybody good? God is so good. He really is. Hey, look at the person sitting next to you and ask them if they got a haircut. Yeah. Tell them they look much better today than the last time you saw them. They must have got a haircut. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews. I'm one of the pastors here at Elevate Church. And I'm so glad you're joining us today. You can be in a lot of different places, but you're here. I believe God's got us here for a reason. Amen. Uh, he wants to speak to us. He wants to draw us close to him. So I'm excited about that. I know Pastor Josh just kind of gave you a little information about some of the upcoming events. Let me just remind you, too, about that egg hunt. We need your help. We want that to be as successful as possible. And so we're still collecting candy. We're still collecting candy. Next time you're out shopping, pick up some non-chocolate candy. Again, we don't want to put chocolate in an egg that gets hot out there and then a kid open it up and think we left them a real nasty presence. You know, we don't want to do that. So we're looking for like, you know, non-chocolate candy. Pick those up next time you're out shopping. Bring them back and drop them off at our table. Uh, the last day to turn in candy is going to be April 17th where we have our egg stuffing party. Uh, we're super excited about that. So be here. Uh, be here for that. Help us out with that. Well, uh, we are starting a brand new series today called What If. What If? And I'm excited uh, about it because that word if, that word if, it's really just it's just two letters, just two letters, but that two-letter word can lead to some pretty big things. That two-letter word really is full of possibilities. Like, how many of you got kids? You got kids? I got kids, and I love my kids. Uh, most of the time, they're good, you know what I mean? I love them most of the time. Uh, but I remember, uh, well, first off, my kids have kind of helped me see things a little differently. Anybody, has your kids done that for you? I remember when I was little, my mom used to often say something like this to me. She would say, when you grow up, I hope you have kids who are just like you. Anybody else, did your, your parents say something like that to me? Well, when my mom would say something like that to me, when she would say, I hope when you grow up you have kids just like you, I often thought, I do too. Because <laughs> I'm awesome. You know, I want my kids to be awesome. That's really, that's really what I thought uh, as I was a child. But now, I got kids. And in a lot of ways, they're just like me. In a lot of ways, they, uh, they're like I used to be. And that's not awesome. So y'all pray for me. But when I was a kid, and uh, maybe, maybe I was doing something bad. I was being bad. I mean, I might not have done my chores. I, I might have gotten bad grades. I might have made some poor choices or, or done all sorts of things that were wrong. And I'd be in trouble. And after I did those things, I, a lot of times I'd go to my mom. And I would say, Mom, can a friend come over? Or, Mom, may I go over to one of my friend's house? And my mom would just look at me and say, absolutely not. Anybody else's mom ever tell them no? If you're not raising your hand, you're spoiled and nobody likes you, okay? So uh, <laughs> my mom said no a lot. And so uh, I would start trying to negotiate with her. I'd say, Mom, if you let my friend come over, if you let me go over to my friend's house, if you'll let me, then I promise to clean my room. Mom, if you'll let me go over there, I promise I will never do that wrong thing that I did again. Mom, if you will let me do what I am asking, then I promise I will never do anything to disappoint you again. And so my mom would smile and just look at me, and you know what her response would be? No. And so I would storm off down the hallway, except for it didn't sound like that because we had carpet, you know what I mean? But I would storm off down the hallway, and I would just be so up. Uh, 
upset, so upset. Well, now I got kids. Brina Grace is 13. She just turned 13 yesterday. She is a certified teenager. Y'all pray for me. Uh, but Brina Grace is 13. Sadie Kate is 8. And Lawson Cruz is 20 months. And so uh, Brianna Grace and Sadie Kate, they often don't get along. They often don't get along. Their, their age difference kind of makes things difficult. They are into different things. They have different interests. And so a lot of times at the house, they will make things difficult for Amanda and I. They will have just had a yell fest. And I know you're wondering, well, what's a yell fest? It is a festival of yelling where I have no idea what they are saying because all they are doing is yelling at one another. It's like they'll go, seriously, having girls has confused me because they'll go in an instant from being all calm and happy to this just ferocious and on the war path. Anybody else's house, is it like that? If you've got girls, man, it confuses me. I'm like, what in the world just happened? I don't understand. And so they will have just had a yell fest, and one of the kids will come up to me, and they'll say, can my friend come over and so I'm like absolutely not and they'll start trying to negotiate with me but dad if you'll let them come over I'll never fight with my sister again now I'm some dumb but I'm not plum dumb you know what I mean I, I know that's a lie I'd never fight with your sister again it's gonna happen tomorrow and so I know I just say I just say absolutely not and so they say dad if you'll let them come over though I will clean my room dad if you'll let them come over I will take out the trash. And so when stuff like that begins to happen, I've kind of started to say something else because I can hear my mom's voice in the back of my head saying, when you grow up, I hope you have kids just like you. And so I can hear that echoing. So, so, so when, they, when they do stuff like that, when my kids do stuff like that, a lot of times I'll look at them and I'll say, how about this? If you don't start treating your sister nice, I'm going to unplug the wireless router. I'll say, hey, hey, look, if you, if you don't start doing what I'm asking you to do, I, I'm going to take away your Xbox. Sadie Kate, if you don't put your dishes, your dirty dishes away, I'm going to throw away every one of your littlest pet shops. How about that? That's what I'll say. No lie, me and Amanda, we were out of town this past week from Sunday till Wednesday. And so I got a text from Mimi, who was watching the kids. Amanda's mom sent me a text. And she's in the text, it said, Sadie Kate expects a present because she has been good while y'all are gone. I sent back a text and I said, she expects a present. She's already got it. It's called a roof over her head and a bed in her room. Because I've been good. Girl, you're supposed to be good. That's what I said. But again, we're all familiar with the implications of the word if. If. We often wonder, if I do this, what will happen? If I do that, what will happen? Maybe you're single and you got the hots for some girl and so you think, if I ask this girl out, what will happen? Maybe you're a Christian and you, you know you need to tell someone about Jesus. You need to invite someone to church. But you think, if I do this, what will happen? Will they think that I'm weird? There are countless times in our life where we run these if scenarios through our mind. So there are so many times where we're uncertain of what will happen if we do certain things. Well, did you know that God, in His Word, gives us several if possibilities? He doesn't just give us if possibilities. He gives us if 
then possibilities. He says, look, if you and I will do certain things, then because we have done certain things, he will, in, in, he will then do certain things for us many times. But in this series, I want us to look at just one of them. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. That's our main passage for this, this series. But here's what God's Word says. And I want you to keep in mind that as, this is, as I'm reading this, this is God speaking. And God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. So do you see that? God says, if my people will we'll do this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. If, then. If, then. Well, in the first part of that verse, God says, if my people who are called by my name now, when you read this, you might not be like me, but when I read this, I kind of started asking myself, I, I, it, it might have been a dumb question, but I began to ask myself, who, who, when God says, if my people who were called by my name, I, I began to wonder, who, who is God talking about when he says, if my people? Who, who are God's people? Now, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God's people were the nation of Israel. God chose the nation of Israel as his people, and he did it for some very specific reasons. He didn't pick the nation of Israel because they were the largest and the mightiest nation. No, no, no. He picked them because they were the lowliest and the fewest. That's why, that's why he picked them. God chose them because he wanted to take a nation that literally had nothing, and he wanted to use this nation that had nothing to be a blessing to all other nations of the world. The whole world was going to look at the nation of Israel and be like, how in the world has this nation who doesn't have anything, how in the world have we been blessed through them. I mean, that's what he wanted to do. Even in the New Testament, that's what Jesus did. Oftentimes, Jesus would take things that seemed insignificant, and he would use them to bless the multitude. He would use them to bless multitudes of people. I know that you guys are familiar with the story of where Jesus took a little kid's sack lunch, and he fed 5,000 people, right? You know the story. This little boy had five barley loaves and two fish, and he goes up to Jesus, and he says, Hey, Jesus, you can use my lunch. You can use what I have to bless the other people, to feed the other people. The disciples kind of laughed at it. They were like, What in the world is Jesus going to do with this among so many? But what does Jesus do? He has the people sit down. He breaks the food. He gives thanks. Then he distributes the food, and 5,000 people actually eat until they are filled. 5,000, at least 5,000 people eat until their stomach is at capacity. They were like, oh, I ate so much. I'm full. Stick a fork in me. I am done. They were full. Well, I can't help but think that there were people in the crowd that day that saw where that food came from, and they wondered, how in the world is that possible? How in the world did Jesus take that little lunch and feed everybody? I can't help but think that they, they thought that. Well, that's exactly what God wanted people to think about the nation of Israel. Again, how is this small nation blessing each and every one of us. Another reason why God chose the nation of Israel to be his people was because God wanted to show the world how he behaves. He wanted to show the world not how they behave, but how he behaves. God, God wanted to show the world his faithfulness. I mean, if you study 
the nation of Israel, what you're going to see is that they consistently, over and over and over again, they did wrong. They chose to do what God specifically told them not to do. They chased after other gods, but what did God do? He was faithful. He didn't abandon them. He didn't leave them. He didn't do any of those things. He loved them. He was faithful, and he took care of them, provided for them. And so the nation of Israel was considered to be the people of God until a new covenant could be established through Jesus Christ. Okay? So stay with me. And what happened is Christ comes to this earth, comes to this earth, and he actually gives his life. He sacrifices himself on Calvary's cross. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19 say it like this. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. So that verse says that we were redeemed. What does that mean? It means that we were purchased. We were bought with the precious blood of Christ. That means our ownership. We no longer belong to ourselves. Our ownership is in Christ Jesus. He owns us. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26. Some weird verses right here. Check it out. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. Now let me stop, because doesn't that, doesn't that, sound, doesn't that sound weird? What in, the world, what in the world is Paul saying here? Is Paul saying, well, he says there's neither male nor female? Is, is he saying that there are no longer men in women? Is that, is that what he's saying? Is there supposed to be this confusion among the genders out there? No. We all know that there are still males and females, right? It's still ma'am. It, it's still sir. There, there are males and females just how there are actual people who are Jews by birth and Gentiles by birth. What Paul is saying is, yes, we are different. Now look at the person sitting next to you and tell them, you different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now tell the person you really wanted to tell you on the other side of you that they're really different, right? Tell them that. They really are different. Paul's not saying, he's not saying there's no difference in the way that we look. He's not saying that there's no difference in the way that we are. Listen, if you're white, guess what? You're still white. If you're African-American, guess what? You're still African-American. If you're Latino, guess what? You're still Latino. If you're Asian, you are still Asian. If you're male, you're still a male. If you're female, you are still a female. Paul, again, is not saying that there is no difference between people anymore. Don't miss this. What Paul is saying is that even though we are different, even though we are different, we are all equally as precious to God. That's, that's what he's saying. See, as God's children, we should celebrate our difference. Why? Because we're made in the image and likeness of God. God created you the way that you are, and he created me the way that I am to reveal to the world something about who he is. And so we celebrate the difference because, again, we're made in the image and likeness of God. We're, we're all different but equally precious to him. How many of y'all remember that song when you were a kid? Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Y'all remember that song? I should be in the praise team. Man. Again, seriously, we, we are all different, yet equally precious in God's sight. 
So again, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 through 20, through 20 uh, the verse night, check it out. He says this, 28 through 29. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, meaning you are part of God's people. So the good news is, is that if you are in Christ, that means you're God's people. You're God's people. That's good news. And so going back to our original passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, check this out. It says this, if my people, if you and me, if my people, God says, who are called by my name, if Christians will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, when God says this, you need to understand when he is saying this about his people, he says this to a fellow by the name of Solomon, to King Solomon. And Solomon had just finished construction of the temple of God. Solomon has just finished constructing construction of his own royal palace. And folks, those two places were absolutely beautiful. If you and I were able to see them, we would have, we would have been in awe of, of their craftsmanship and of their beauty. I mean, we would have thought these were like wonders of the world. The, the temple of God, everything was gold, man. The ceiling was overlaid with pure gold. The, the doorposts, pure gold. The door frames, everything, the walls was overlaid with pure gold. We would have been just amazed by it. And I can't help but think that when the people of God got to the end of these two massive construction projects, that there was this sense of pride. I can't help but think that they looked at those beautiful buildings, those beautiful buildings, and they thought, look at what we did. Look, look at what we did. Look at us. I mean, think about who Solomon was. Solomon was the richest man who has ever lived. They thought, look at our king. He's the richest man who has ever lived. Solomon was the wisest man who has ever lived. They thought, look at our king. Everybody from all over the world is coming to tour his palace and to look at the temple. They're coming to learn from him. Look at us. Look at what we got going on. We are somebody. Again, I can't help but think that there was this sense of pride, even among Solomon. Man, look at what happened under my leadership, he thought. But you know what happens? As pride begins to creep in, God wakes Solomon up in the middle of the night. Second Chronicles chapter 7, you can read about it, but God basically says, Solomon, you better watch out. Solomon, you better be careful. You better be humble. Because if you're not careful, you'll forget that I am God and you are not. That's what God is basically communicating to him. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. See, here's the thing. I want you to understand. Sin is, is or, or pride is the sin that God opposes. But humility is the virtue that God blesses. Let me, let me say that again. Pride is the sin that God opposes, but humility is the virtue that God blesses. Think about it. Why in the world was Lucifer cast down from heaven? Pride. 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 Lucifer was this beautiful angel of worship. He led all the other angels in worship to God. And Lucifer began to feel like he was somebody. He began to think, you know what? 
I know that we're leading all these other angels in worship of God, but they need to hear my voice. The spotlight needs to, needs to be on me. They really actually need to be celebrating me and who I am. I need to be lifted up. And he thought he was the one that needed to be worshipped. And you know what happened? God set himself against Lucifer. Listen to me. The quickest way to get God against you is to live your life with pride. The quickest way to get God to be against you is to live your life with pride. I'm serious. Look at what James chapter 4, verse 6 says. It says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Let's leave that up there for just a second. He, he what? The proud? What does that mean? What does it mean to oppose? What that actually means is, is to disapprove of. God disapproves of the proud. It means that, that, that God actively resists them. It, it means that God is against them. He is against the proud. He opposes the proud. Well, folks, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in opposition to God in any area of my life. I don't want to be in opposition to God when it comes to anything. And so if that's really what I want, you know what that means? It means I need to humble myself. It means you need to humble yourself. It means we need to humble ourselves. And here's, here's the thing. If you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. If you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. How do I know? Because God opposes the proud. But I love the second part of that verse in James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to who? The humble. He shows favor to the humble. Now, here's the deal. I want a little participation. I want y'all guys to help me out. Raise your hand. You know, let me know you're still with me. But how many of you would say that you want God to hear your prayers? Okay, a couple of y'all. Some of y'all kept your hands down. I don't know what that's all about. But how, what about this? How many of y'all, how many of y'all would, would say you want the favor of God in your life? A couple of y'all still like, I don't know, man. I want God. Man, that's wild, man. Everybody wants the favor of God on their life, right? Nobody in their right mind would say, I don't want God's favor. I want God to be against me. I want God to oppose me. If you say that, you need to get off drugs, okay? Don't, I mean, get off it. Say no to drugs. We all want God to hear us. We all want God's favor in our life. And here's the deal. I used to have this messed up and twisted view of how to make that become a reality. Again, we want the favor of God, right? We want God to hear us. We want those. I used to have this twisted, uh, twisted idea of how to make that possible. Like, what? let me get this. Hold on. Watch this. How many of y'all know, know what this is? Watch this. How many of y'all know what this is? A couple of people are like, uh, I don't know. Stool. This is a stool. This is actually my wife's stool. If you know my wife, she's vertically challenged. I love her. And so there's this saying on this stool. She's had this stool since she was a child. It says, this little stool is mine. I use it all the time to reach the things I couldn't and lots of things I shouldn't. You know what I'm saying? So this is her stool. Very special to her. Well, so here's what I thought. I used to think, you know what? I want God's favor in my life. I want God to hear me when I pray. And so I want to reach, reach his favor. And so I know what I'll do. I'll start going to church. I'll, I'll, it's way up here. His favor's way up here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start going to church, and, and I'll get God to hear me. I'll get God's favor in my life. God, look at me. Here I am. I'm at church. God, I'm doing what, I'm doing what I need to be doing. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to get your favor. I had this. I, I, now, wait a minute. Should we go to church? 
absolutely, we should go to church. I believe God wants to see his house full. If there's an empty chair beside you, that's a reminder from God. You need to invite somebody to church. God wants to see his house full. He loves it when people, he loves it when his children come to his house just to hear from him, just to worship him. He loves that. But again, I, I used to think, if it, God, here I am. You, you see me. You see what I'm doing. You got to give me, you got to give me favor. And so I thought, but you know what? I, I really, I really want to reach that favor. It's way up high. I got to reach it. And so I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll get this. Watch this. Let me get this. I began to think, how many of y'all know what this is? It's the same thing as that. It's just bigger, right? This is a stool. I said, I know what? I'm not just going to go to church. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. Oh, should be mad. I'm wearing flip-flops on, on this stuff, right? But I'm like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach God's favor. I'm going to get God's favor in my life because of what I'm doing. Now, again, is it good to go to church? Should we read the Bible? Should we pray? But I'm thinking, God, you see me. Look at what I'm doing. I deserve your favor now. I deserve for you to hear me. I deserve all these great things. I deserve your blessing. Look at what I was doing. But again, I really wanted God's favor in my life. Had this twisted idea of what that looked like. I got to reach higher. And so I thought, you know what? I know what I'll do. Watch this. I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not just going to go to church. I'm not just going to pray and read my Bible. I might tell somebody about Jesus. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to preach. And I thought, I'm reaching God's favor. I'm getting high. I'm, reach, I'm reaching God's favor. Look at what I'm doing, God. I know you see me, God. Everybody else sees me. I'm doing what I can to reach the favor of God. But listen to me. The question I asked you guys was, how many of y'all want the favor of God in your life? Amen. Here's the deal. You don't get God's favor by, by stepping up. You don't. You, you get God's favor by doing this. Amen. Here's, here's the deal. I used to think, again, that God's favor and that his blessing were on these shelves way up high where I had to reach. And if I kept reaching, I deserved it. That it was my, God, you've got to do what I'm asking you to do because of what I've been doing. You, you owe it to me. I used to, I used to think that. I'm just going to reach higher and reach higher and reach higher. But God's blessing and favor are not on shelves one above each other. They're on shelves one below each other. And the lower we stoop, the more we get. See, listen to me. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. Again, we're supposed to do all those things, but we don't do all those things so that we can say, God, look at me. We, we, don't, we don't do it for that reason. So here's the question. Are you a humble person? When people think about you and the way that you live your life, do they see you as being way up on this ladder? They think they are somebody. Or do they see you as somebody who's down and humble? Better yet, don't even worry about what other people think. How does God see you? Does God see you as a humble person? Does God see you as a humble person? And see, maybe you're here today and you're wondering, well, man, what, what does it really mean to be humble? What does that even mean? 
What does that even look like? Does humble mean that you don't try to be in the spotlight? Well, that's part of it. Does humble, being humble mean that you're not trying to bring attention to yourself? That's part of it. But really being humble has more to do with the condition of your heart. It has to do with the condition of your heart. And real humility, what being humble really looks like, is perfectly displayed through Christ Jesus. And Philippians chapter 2 tells us what his humility looks like. In fact, we're going to look at that passage, and I want to, I want to point out two things that humility requires from that passage in Philippians chapter 2. The first thing that I want you to see about humility is that humility requires selflessness. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 6. Here's what the Bible says. It says, Who, talking about Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So that verse says that by very nature, Jesus was who? He was God. God the Son, the second member of the Holy Trinity. Well, Jesus didn't consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Nowhere in the Gospels do you see Jesus walking around with his chest puffed out saying, Y'all know who I am? Do you know who I am? Even when people made his life hard, even when the Pharisees made his life hard and the life of his disciples hard, we don't see Jesus getting frustrated and calling down lightning bolts to strike those guys. Man, I don't know about you guys, but if I was God, if I would have been Jesus, I might have turned my back a couple times and twinkled my nose or just did whatever I needed to make a lightning bolt come and then turn and be like, oh, what happened? I didn't see it. What happened? You know, I mean, I, I, I probably would have done that. But Jesus... Didn't do it. Jesus set who he was aside. He set who he was aside and he became a servant. Jesus, the only one who was really worthy of honor, he humbled himself. He humbles himself. See, the problem is that most of us would rather be honored than humbled. We'd rather be honored than humbled. I read about Muhammad Ali when he was in the prime of his life. He was on an airplane, and the stewardess reminded him that he needed to buckle his seatbelt before they took off. Well, Muhammad Ali didn't like that. He thought, obviously, she don't know who she's talking to. And so Muhammad Ali looked at this flight attendant who reminded him he needed to buckle up, and Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no, no, no seatbelt. To which the flight attendant turned to Muhammad Ali and said, well, Superman don't need an airplane either. Muhammad Ali buckled up his seatbelt, you know what I'm saying? Again, it's so hard sometimes for some of us to set ourselves to the side and to become selfless. But Jesus did. And we're supposed to follow his example. Jesus emptied himself of honor and he made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant. Being humble requires that you be selfless. Not only that, but the second thing that I want you to see that humility requires is not only selflessness, but humility requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, when speaking to Jesus, says this, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you notice that exclamation point right there? Paul is shocked. Not that just Jesus would go to the point to humble himself to the point of death, but that he would 
humble himself to the point of dying on a cross. This was shocking to Paul. It was shocking to everyone else. Why in the world would God do this? Now, why was it shocking for Jesus to die on a cross? Because it was the worst possible way that you could die at the time. It was the most humiliating way to die. Jesus is stripped naked. He's beaten beyond human recognition. He's forced to carry his cross. He's paraded through the city to a place called Golgotha where he is nailed to a cross and raised up in the air so that everybody can see him hurting, so that everybody can see him in pain, so that everybody can see him naked and vulnerable. And Jesus did it anyway. He did it for us. He sacrificed himself. And I love what happens because he humbled himself. Philippians chapter 2 again talks about it. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 through 11 here. Here's what the Bible says. It says, therefore, because Christ humbled himself, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, this proves to me that, that God, that God in fact gives favor to the humble. God the Father exalted Jesus the Son, Christ the Son, God the Son, because he was willing to humble himself. Do you want the favor of God in your life? If so, humble yourself. Do you want God to hear your prayers? If so, humble yourself. See, I'm wrapping up. But our main passage, again, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Look at it. God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Again, this is the first week in our series. And I wanted to focus on the first thing that God tells us to do. Because we all want God to hear us. We all want the favor of God. We all want God to heal our land and to make things right for us. Well, God says that that's what you want. If that's really what you want, you'll humble yourself. So, what if? What if? The only thing keeping you from seeing a huge move of God in your life is the fact that you won't humble yourself. What if the only thing keeping God from answering a specific prayer in your life is simply because you won't humble yourself? What what if, again, what's keeping God's favor from being poured out on you and on me is the fact that we just won't humble our Selves. See, oftentimes it's us. It's not God. It's us who are keeping the great things that God has in store for us from happening. Oftentimes it's us who are keeping our land, our homes, from being healed. You need some, some healing in your home? What if the only thing keeping that from happening is that you won't humble yourself? 
So what if we humbled ourselves, truly humbled ourselves? See, I certainly don't know all the specifics that might happen in your life or in your home, but I do know that we would receive his favor because he gives favor to the humble. I do know that if we would humble ourselves, he would hear us because he tells us if his people who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, he'll hear from heaven and heal their land. He'll heal the land. So what if, what if we humbled ourselves? What if we did it today? See, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. But maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today and you've just been living a life full of pride. You've been living your life for yourself. You've made a mess of your life. And you wonder, man, how in the world will God forgive me? Maybe you're here today and you don't even think God wants you, that God loves you. No, no, no. Remember this new covenant's been established. God loves you so much he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to redeem you, to purchase you. And so maybe you're here today and you know you need to give your life to Christ. That's your first step in being humble. Acknowledging, hey, you know what, God, I need you. God, I need you to save me. So if that's you, I'm going to ask that right where you are, you pray this prayer. Father, today, forgive me of all my sin. I need you, God, to save me, to change me, to mold me into a completely new person. Father, today, I confess you as Lord. I confess you as my Savior. And I pray, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me so that I can live for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for saving me. Hey, listen, again, our eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. But I wonder today if there's somebody here who prayed to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I wonder if you'll do me a favor. If that's you, you prayed to receive Christ. If you'll just raise your hand so that I can know the Holy Spirit's moving. Amen. One, two, three, four. Amen. Father, we celebrate new life right now. But I also know that there's some other people here whose homes are hurting there's so much pride there's so much pride Father Father I pray today that right now in this moment that you would break the chain of pride Father I pray right now that you would do something amazing Father I pray that you would truly help us to humble ourselves I just want the church to know in a minute we're about to sing a song it's called Come to the Altar but maybe you're here today and you want to, you really do want to come to the altar. You want to you humble yourself. You want to take advantage of this time. 
I want you to know that we're going to open up the stage down here. You can come, you can kneel, you can pray. Again, if you want to humble yourself, you want to, you want to see God do something great, you want to see Him forgive your sin, you want to see Him heal your land, and you can come, humble yourself and pray. Father, I pray right now that in this time, you would move, that you would work, that you would do great things in people's homes and in people's lives. I pray in Jesus' name.